0: Thank you, fellas. Not sure who told you what my sermon was about today, but I appreciate it. We can just stop now. Just sing that song again. All right. If you would go ahead and turn to Romans chapter five, we're going to be looking at verse. That is a big body to walk past you when you're not ready for it. Come oh. on. <laughs> Uh, praise the Lord! I'm ready to go. Okay, <laughs> forgot he was back there for a moment. Woo! Okay, Romans chapter five verses six through eleven. Uh, yeah, go ahead and turn there. That's where we will be at this morning. Last week we uh, started. Uh, we started uh, the year talking about where God, what God would have for the church. And that his desire and, and our purpose as a church is to glorify God. We talked about five things, but then we set up that they're the theme for our year. And the theme for our year is healthy believer, healthy church. The idea that if we desire as a people to see our church be all that it can be, to see our church uh, be what God has created it to be, to, and to uh, do the purpose, to accomplish the purpose that has been set before it then we ourselves must be healthy and we understand this from the sense of a body and and Paul throughout the New Testament we see the church described as a body that all these pieces come together and each one designed uniquely for its job and its task but just like our bodies where if one part is sick then the rest of it suffers the rest of it can't go on so too is it with the church so too is it with the church that if Some of us are not healthy, then we can't accomplish all that God has put before us the way that we were designed to accomplish it. And so to begin the year, we're going to be looking at what does it mean, what does it mean to be a healthy believer? And that conversation cannot begin, we cannot build upon that topic Um, The rest of this year and what's coming up, if we do not lay a foundation and our foundation can be nothing less than salvation. Just as the guys sang about a minute ago, our cornerstone, our starting point is Jesus Christ and his blood and sacrifice. That is where we must start. And so this morning, that's what we're going to be looking at together. Um, Hopefully by now you found chapter five. We're going to be reading that. Um, And so if you would stand to honor the reading of God's Word this morning, we'll do that together. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, going through verse 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me pray. Father, we come before you and Lord, we understand this morning that we ourselves are not worthy to come into your presence. And Lord, as Romans reminds us this morning, as your word reminds us, we all, we all were sinners. And we were separated from You. And yet this morning, Lord, we ask for You to remind, for those of us that are believers, that You would remind us of this great thing that You have done in our life. That it would set us free to go out and to live differently. And for those of us here this morning, Lord, who may not have put our trust in You, that we would understand this morning That we would hear your message of love and grace this morning. Maybe in a way that we never have before so that it could change our lives. And that we too could be pronounced innocent. Father, I pray this morning. Lord, let the true call of our hearts be that we want to know you more. Let the true desire of our being be that we want to see you high and lifted up. Not just a song that we sing. Lord, may your word do what only your word can do this morning. May it transform us. May it change us. I pray this all in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we get too far down the line here, I want to um, give credit where credit is due. Um, In addition, of course, to our text, uh, there are times when we must uh, look to other godly men um, who are smarter than we are. Um, and so I would encourage you on this topic. The topic of justification and regeneration is a big one, and it is an important one. and It is one that we as believers should desire to understand so that we can fully grasp the grace of God in our lives. Um, and so I would, I would commend to you three books this uh, this week. I don't normally do this, but these are three that shaped um, my own understanding of Scripture and and what is going on, and so I would commend them to you as well. First one is Justification and Regeneration by Charles Leiter. The second and if you want to come and ask me about spellings later you can. The second one is Stop as- Asking Jesus in Your Heart by JD Greer and the third is Follow Me by David Platt. Again, these are not scripture. They are not uh, they are not holy words breathed into into the pen of of the writer and so we don't take them as such. Um, But they are good resources for us to use to help us to better understand uh, what the Lord has done in our lives. And ultimately, though, we test everything against the Word of God and hold it up to that. Um, But I did want to give credit where credit was due and commend those to you. All right. So, looking then at our salvation. God has done this great thing in our lives. Or He desires to do this great thing in our lives if we will accept it. But in order to understand salvation we must first understand our need for salvation. John or sorry Paul describes us in various ways throughout our verses this morning. First in verse 6 he says that we are weak. We are unable to accomplish anything, much less to accomplish the work of salvation in our own life. Second, He calls us ungodly. You see that there at the end of verse 6. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, meaning you or I. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says that no one seeks God. Not one. There is nothing inside of us as human beings that desires to find Him. And so we find ourselves weak, unable to save ourselves, and undesiring To go to the one who could save us. He also describes us as sinners. Verse 8. Certainly all of us. All of us. Are guilty of this. All of us can hold on. To this title. Because being a sinner is not a level of degree. It's not like you can say. Well. I've only done this little thing. I only told this little white lie. I I hate to tell you, but that is sin, and therefore you gain the title of sinner and all that goes with it. It's kind of like being a a felon. If you commit a felony, whether that be stealing a a mail out of somebody's mailbox or damaging a mailbox or whether that be murdering someone in the eyes of the law you are always going to be a felon. And forevermore when you fill out any sort of form and you come to the question have you ever been convicted of a felony you have to check yes. And we too are in the same situation. In that if we have broken but one law, if we have done but one thing against a holy God and offended him, then we too Must say, Yes, we are sinners. And as as such, we take on everything that goes with that. He calls us weak, he calls us ungodly, he calls us sinners, and he calls us enemies of God. Ponder that for a moment. We, if we have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and not set our trust upon His blood, we are on the wrong side of the battle. And we stand opposed to a holy God and the Creator of all things. And we have already been told who is victorious in the end. We have already been given the understanding and the foresight to see who is victorious at the end. But if we have not trusted Him if we have not trusted in Him, if we have not made Him the Lord of our lives, then we find ourselves on the wrong side of that battle. We find ourselves opposed to Him and under His judgment. Indeed, we find ourselves in fear of His wrath. There is, as it says at the end of 9, that we were saved from this, but in order to be saved from it, we must have been under it. Here's the amazing thing though, in all of this, being weak, being ungodly, being sinners, being enemies of God, because of those things, because of that sin, then we find ourselves under both the penalty and the power of sin. We find ourselves under both of these things. Because we are sinners, we have offended God and we are under the penalty of that offense. I love what one of the writers says, that if you offend a rock, what is the consequence? What is the penalty? There is none. If you offend a spouse, what is the consequence and what is the penalty? Ah, now we have one, okay? Certainly, we have all been under, we have all been guilty of that, um, or maybe the offense to a friend. If we offend the law of the land, then we are underneath that penalty. And let's say you take the life of another, then in our land, you forfeit the right of your life, whether that be life in prison or whether it be the taking of your own life. There is a price to be paid. There's a consequence. In the same way, if you offend the law of a holy and eternal God, then the consequence of such is eternal as well. And we know from God's word that the penalty of such is death and eternal separation from him in a place of anguish and torment. We are under the penalty of sin, and it is One of those things, again, that is not by degree. It is totally guilty or totally innocent. And in the courtroom of God, as we stand before a holy judge, if nothing else is done, if nothing else is taken care of, if the blood of Christ is not there, then we are guilty. But it's not just that. Certainly that is the big problem. But we also find ourselves under the power of sin. We understand that all of us are born with a sin nature, with a flesh nature. And we are addicted to sin the way that no other addiction can speak of. And we are all under its influence to the point that humanity has no concept of any other reality than that which draws us to sin against a holy God. Our thoughts are are shaped around our own desires and our own flesh. Our emotions and our response to circumstances are shaped around our pride and our selfishness. Our actions have everything to do with us and the motivations behind them speak to that. Our relationships are entangled in it. Sin has wrapped its tentacles around every aspect of our life. And so not only are we under the penalty of sin, but we are under its influence every moment. We are weak. We are helpless. We are unable to do anything. This is where we found ourselves. If you are a believer this morning, do you remember this? Do you understand this? That once this described you. Once this described me. Paul says. We need to remember this. However. We don't have to stay there. Because God has done something amazing. He has provided a way. For salvation. And Paul as he describes our situation, as he describes who we are and where we are, he also describes the basis for salvation. Look there in verse 9 with me. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified, by what? By his blood. Much more shall we be saved from the wrath by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. By what? By the death of his son. What is the basis for our salvation? What is it that takes us from that state that we talked about. Where we are under both the penalty of sin. And we are under the power of sin. Nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ. It is not our words. It is not a special prayer that we pray. It is not an action that we do. It is not our good works. It is not our church attendance. It is not even our general faith. Some of you are going, whoa, wait, what? It is not even our general faith. Look around the world and you will find people of great faith in all tongues and all nations who are putting incredible amounts of faith and devotion into something that will ultimately fail them. Many of them would put us to shame when it comes to their devotion to the, that thing that they have been told will save them. Whether it be through their actions or their giving or their overall appearance, whatever it may be, they are completely committed to that path. The only problem is is the path that they are walking on will fail them because it's not about our general faith. Let me give you an example here. If you come to a great chasm and you have to get to the other side and there are two bridges and one bridge is made out of old decaying uh, fraying rope and some old broken boards And then there's another bridge that's made out of steel and concrete. I don't care how much you have faith in the broken, old, destructive bridge. It is going to collapse on you and under you. And you are going to fall. Yes, we need to have faith. But the amount of your faith The trust that you put in your own faith does not make the basis for your salvation somehow stronger. However, if you come to that bridge that is concrete and steel and sturdy, I don't care if you have itty-bitty faith and your knees knock as you go across it. My wife will tell you, when I drive across a bridge, my knuckles go white, the conversation ends. I hate going across bridges. But when I go across it, I put my faith in it that this time it's going to hold. It doesn't matter that I don't trust the bridge completely. It doesn't matter that I'm afraid of it. The bridge is what holds me up and gets me across. In the same way, if I have but a little faith, if I have but a little faith that in the blood of Jesus Christ and I put my trust in Him enough to cross over that bridge, that will never fail. It will get me across Though my knees may knock, though I may worry, though I may be concerned, I can trust that the blood of Jesus Christ is enough. Not my actions, not my deeds, not my own faith. But Him and Him alone. There is nothing else. No other starting point. No other foundation that we lay. So what happens then? What happens then when we put our trust, when we put maybe what little faith we have into the blood of Jesus Christ? Lots of things happen. But two that we want to focus on this morning are two big words that we throw around a lot. And maybe you're here this morning and when I say justification and regeneration, you go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, I've been in church long enough that I've heard those words. And when when you say, do you understand what that means? I'm going to nod my head, yes, because I'm supposed to. Or maybe you do have some understanding. But God does this incredible thing. He does does this incredible, these two incredible things. At the moment of our salvation, first one we're going to look at is justification. What Paul speaks of here in verse 9 when he says that we have been justified by the blood. What does that mean? What does it mean that we've been justified? You'll remember earlier I said that we are under the penalty of sin. Remember? If we have broken one law, then we have been found guilty, and now there is a consequence to pay for it. Justification means being made right. Being declared in right standing. It is a legal term. No longer when the judge, the holy God of all of creation looks at us, does he see us as guilty and therefore condemned. But now he sees us as innocent and free to go. If you've ever watched a movie where there's, a, there's a, the protagonist, the hero, and he gets accused of something that he didn't do, and there's a big court drama that plays out in front of and during the whole movie or during that television show those are the words that everyone longs to hear you are free to go and what happens there when they hear that what happens when the hero when the the judge says they're not guilty and sir you are a man you are free to go what happens there well the guy goes dang it And he stands up with a frown on his face and he goes, take me away anyway. No, like that's not what happens. He rejoices. He starts hugging everybody. Usually there's a cute girl behind him who's been through him through the whole movie. And she wraps his arms around him and they kiss and they're going to get married tomorrow. Like that's what's going to happen. And that's what should happen with us when we hear this. When we hear this, brother and sister, that we we were weak. We could do nothing about our situation. When we hear that we were ungodly, that we weren't searching for him, but he came and searched for us. When we hear that we were sinners and we were under power and the penalty of sin. When we hear that we were his enemies and yet he loved us enough to die for us. And then we hear that now we are innocent, not by a degree, not like you're innocent, but you've still got to do X, Y, Z. No, we hear we are free to go. We should rejoice. We should be ecstatic. We should be looking for that loved one to embrace and say, it happened. And it can happen for you. We should be singing it from the rooftops. We have been justified. Not a little. Not by much. But completely. We are free. Paul says that if that's not enough to rejoice about, then we rejoice. We rejoice that we can now exist with Him. We can exist with this holy God because now we are clean. Praise the Lord. Not only are we justified through our salvation, but we are also regenerated. He says there that for in verse 10, For a while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. How does this re- reconciliation happen? Certainly it happens... Through the justification process, as Christ pays the penalty, He pays for the consequence for you and I so that we may be pronounced innocent. But it also happens, it also happens through the process of regeneration. You'll remember going back to the beginning again, we said we were under the penalty of sin, and that penalty of sin is taken care of by the act of justification as God looks at the blood of Jesus Christ and pronounces us innocent. But we also said that we are under the power of sin, in that it has corrupted our minds, it has corrupted our hearts, it has corrupted our motivation behind everything that we do. And God does not just pronounce us innocent, but He does something grand in that He makes us new. He gives us a new mind. Paul would say later that he's transforming it. Scripture says that he gives us a new heart. No longer do we have a heart of stone, but now we have a heart of flesh. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. There must be a new creation that happens. And Christ does that as he pours into us the Holy Spirit in that moment of salvation. Now we think differently. We cannot help it. We've been made new. We're we're a new person. We think differently about the circumstances that are given. We think differently about how we see the world. We feel differently. We've been given a heart of flesh, a heart of love and care where our heart desires to be with God, to follow Him in everything that we do, in everything that we accomplish. A heart that reaches out to those who are lost knowing where they have been and what they face, and knowing that there is hope. Everything about us is new. Our motivations for everything that we do is new. And because of that, we have relationship with Him. Justification means that we can exist with Him. We could not exist with a holy God unless we too were pronounced innocent ourselves. But you can be innocent and not have a relationship with the judge. By being made new, by being re- regenerated, by having new mind and new heart, now we can not only exist but with God, but we can be have a relationship with Him. And so begins the greatest story of adoption ever told. As God looks at his enemies and says, I love you. And he pronounces them not only free, but he pronounces them his children. So has been done for us. We had a great need for salvation. We have a great need for salvation if we are still there, if we have never trusted Him. We have a great foundation basis for our salvation in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is complete and it is total. God does these incredible things in that He justifies us, therefore setting us free from the penalty of sin, and He regenerates us, therefore setting us free from the power of sin. And we could certainly dig much more into both of those things this morning. But for some of you here this morning, there may be a question, how do I know? How do I know? That that has happened. For some of you here this morning. Maybe you grew up in church. And maybe you've been doing this your whole life. And yet you sit there and and you question. What's going on? Maybe you're here this morning. And you know I have never. Never ever put my trust in Christ. I am still in that state. Of being weak. I am still. I'm still guilty. Before a holy God. I would ask you two questions this morning. Number one. Are you trusting in the blood. And nothing else. This morning. If the floor dropped out from underneath you. Who would you call to. Would it be your faith. My faith, save me. Would it be your actions or your church attendance? Would it be the faith of your parents? Would it be an act of being dunked? Or would you cry out to Jesus Christ, trusting in the sacrifice that He made? Because nothing else holds up. Everything else breaks beneath us. The second question I would ask you this morning is, are you new? Are you new? If you were to ask the Lord to examine you this morning, if you were to ask others to look at your life and to open it up completely before them, would they see something different? Would they see a life motivated by different things than the world is motivated by? Would they see a mind whose thoughts are on different things than that of the world? Would they see a heart with a longing for different things than that which the world longs for? Doesn't mean you're perfect. We're all going to still stumble. We're all still going to fail. We're all still going to have times when we just screw up. But as a whole, are you different? As a whole, has God done something in your life where he has transformed you so that now you are unrecognizable from the person that you were or from others around you? Understanding that some of us were saved and we really we don't remember our 4-year-old devil like are you new? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And we're just going to have a time of response. Maybe this morning as you hear this message, you're reminded of the salvation that God has done through you. You're reminded, man, that's where I was. And I understand even if, even if I came to Jesus Christ, I was six years old when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I didn't fully understand probably the depth of my sin and the depth of the consequence but I understood it as well as the Lord would allow me. But maybe this morning you hear this message and you're reminded, man, I was weak, I was ungodly. I was a sinner, I was an enemy of God, and He saved me. He loved me that much that He came and He found me. Then I hope this morning, I pray this morning that you will worship, that you will worship along with us this morning that you will praise him, that you will be like that man in that movie who said, you are free to go and you will just cast off every restraint and say, praise God, this is what's happened. I want to sing about it. I want to talk about it. I want want other people to talk about it. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you're a believer, but for whatever reason, you've stopped walking across that bridge. You've just stopped in your tracks Maybe this morning you needed to be reminded of the great thing that God has done in your life. To urge you on, to recommit yourself to following this path that He's laid before you. To running after Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never ever made that decision. You would say this morning, if I were to ask you, Friend, why are you going to heaven? Why would God let you in the doors? And you would say, I have no idea. This morning I would invite you, come talk to me. Come talk to, find find one of our, our guys in the audience, one of our deacons or one of our other wonderful ladies. We would love to talk to you about it, about how you can put your trust in Him. How you can have life abundantly. How you can be free this morning. This morning though, ask my ultimate prayer for each one of us is that we would ask the Lord, to look into our hearts and to show us who we are and where we are with him and that we would respond accordingly to that. Let me pray with you and then you respond this morning. Father, we come before you and we thank you for everything you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the air that we breathe. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your house and to to worship you and to hear your word. But Lord, most of all, we thank you this morning that you did not leave us where we were. Lord, we understand that we were in a place of desperation. Lord, that we had no way out from underneath the penalty and the power of sin. And you stepped out of all of heaven to live a perfect life, free and innocent from anything, so that when you made the sacrifice, so when you paid the penalty that it was worthy it was worthy to cover all of ours father i pray this morning lord help us to worship in the joy of our salvation lord help us to live our lives this week in the joy of what god has done when he set us when you set us free father i pray for those here lord that have never put their trust in you they've never taken that step Lord I pray that you would give them grace this morning to make that decision to accept by faith the gift that you offer Lord may we praise this morning with those that make that decision Father search our hearts help us to know where we are so that we can get closer to you Pray this in your holy name. Amen.